music marks the times of our lives, reminds us of days gone by, and inspires today's and tomorrow's hits. Hi, I'm Dee Dwayne, and welcome to The Real Deal, spotlighting the best music and the biggest artists of yesterday, providing an insight of just what made them so great. The Prince of Motown, Marvin Gaye. Personally, he was a powerful and poignant mix of love, strength, contradiction, and turmoil. Sometimes peaceful and sometimes considerate of others, and at other times, he resisted and challenged authority and was often selfish and detached. Always upfront and truthful about himself, this is how Marvin Gaye described himself. A man always willing to give more and get more. Most of the time he was easy to get along with, but oftentimes he was angry, bitter, defiant, and self-indulgent. Musically, Marvin Gaye was a genius a brilliant composer and producer, and an accomplished multi-instrumentalist. He loved to sing and perform, but oftentimes fought a crippling condition of stage fright. Always pushing himself musically, Marvin Gaye was rarely pleased with his vocal ability and level of performance. In spite of all this, Marvin Gaye recorded 67 charted singles on the Billboard charts, with 41 reaching the top 40. 60 of his singles reached the top 40 on the R&B charts, with 38 of those reaching the top 10 and 13 of those peaking at number 1. We are excited and proud to present to you the music and the life of Mr. Marvin Gaye, right here on The Real Deal. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. was born on April 2nd, 1939 in Washington, D.C. to church minister Marvin Gay Sr. and domestic worker Alberta Gay. His first home was just a few blocks from the Anacosta River. When Marvin was in his teens, the family relocated to the Deanwood section of northeastern D.C. Marvin was the second eldest of Marvin Gay Sr.'s children and the third overall of six. He had two sisters, Jeannie, and Ziola and three brothers, Michael Cooper, Frankie Gay, and Antoine Gay. Marvin Gay started out singing in church when he was four years old. His father often accompanied him on piano. Marvin developed a love for singing at an early age and was encouraged to pursue a professional music career after a performance at a school play. His home life consisted of frequent brutal whippings by his father who struck him for any shortcoming. The young Marvin Gaye described living under his father's roof as similar to, quote, living with a king, a very peculiar, changeable, cruel, and all-powerful king, end of quote. He felt that had his mother not consoled him and encouraged his singing, he would have killed himself. Marvin attended Cardozo High School and joined several doo-wop vocal groups, including the Dippers and the DC Tones. His relationship with his father worsened during his teenage years as his father would kick him out of the house often. In 1956, 17-year-old Marvin dropped out of high school and enlisted in the United States Air Force as a basic airman. Defiant and disappointed in having to perform menial tasks, he faked mental illness and was dishonorably discharged shortly afterwards. Marvin Gaye's sergeant stated that Marvin refused to follow orders. In 1959, Harvey Fruqua co-founder of the Moonglows hired Marvin and installed him into the group. The group then changed its name to Harvey and the New Moonglows and relocated to Chicago. The group recorded several records for Chess in 1959, including the song Mama Lucci, which was Marvin's first lead vocal recording. In 1960, the group broke up. Marvin Gaye then relocated to Detroit with Fruqua, where he signed with Tri-Fi Records as a session musician, playing drums on several Tri-Fi's releases. Marvin performed at Motown President Barry Gordy's house during the holiday season in 1960. Impressed by the singer, Barry Gordy negotiated a release of contract for Marvin with Harvey Fruqua, who agreed to sell part of his interest in his contract. Shortly afterwards, Marvin Gaye signed with Motown Records subsidiary Tamla Records. Now, when Marvin first signed with Tamla, he pursued a career as a performer of jazz music and standards, having no desire whatsoever to become an R&B performer. He wanted to sing songs like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett. Before the release of his first single, Marvin was teased about his last name, which was originally spelled G-A-Y. Some people was jokingly asked, is Marvin really gay? This annoyed Marvin so much that he changed the spelling of his last name by adding an E at the end. 
Author David Ritz wrote that Marvin did this to silence rumors of his sexuality and to put more distance between himself and his father. Marvin Gaye's initial recordings failed commercially. He spent most of 1961 performing session work as a drummer for artists like The Miracles and The Marvelettes. He was paid $5 a week to play drums for The Miracles. Somewhat stubborn and hard-headed, Marvin refused to attend grooming school courses because of his unwillingness to comply with their requirements, a decision that he would later regret. Finally, Marvin Gaye's first solo hit, Stubborn Kind of Fellow, was released in September of 1962 and went straight to number eight on the R&B chart. vocals on that song that was Martha and the Vandellas who also contributed background vocals on Marvin Gaye's next hit record Hitchhike. Hitchhike sparked a brief dance craze when audience members from American Bandstand performed the dance on national television. Marvin Gaye performed the song on the show and also did the dance moves on stage. The song was successful enough to land Marvin his first top 40 pop single in 1963 while reaching the number 12 spot on the R&B singles chart. Going to Chicago, that's the last place my baby stay.
Things were starting to move for Marvin Gaye. Now, Barry Gordy's sister, Anna, first met Marvin Gaye in 1959 when Marvin was 20 years old singing with Harvey and the New Moon Glows. Marvin soon began working at Anna Records and developed an attraction to Anna. They eventually began dating in 1960, and after a three-year courtship, they were married in June of 1963. This marriage gave Marvin Gaye the family feeling he always wanted, and, being the brother-in-law of the label's founder, he felt that it gave him position at Motown. I was a bit spoiled. I was a prima donna. I was the president's brother-in-law, and I was rather ridiculous about things that the other acts were doing. I don't know. I seemed to sort of enjoy being able to say, I don't have to do that. You guys do that, you know. During Marvin's early years at Motown, he was inspired by his relationship with his wife, Anna Gordy, and often written songs dedicated to her, including the 1963 top 10 hit, Pride and Joy. Regarding that song, Marvin Gaye later told author David Ritz that he composed Pride and Joy as he was head over heels in love with Anna. He said he just wrote what he felt about her and what she did for him. He said she was my pride and joy. <laughs> Marvin Gaye was on a roll and the hits just kept on coming when the songwriting and production team of Holland Dozier Holland got together with him on his next hit. How Sweet It Is To Be Loved By You was going to be a successful song for numerous artists of various genres. It would reach the number four spot on the R&B singles chart and up to that point it was Marvin Gaye's most successful single selling close to one million copies. Whew! Without you in my life Everything 
and several other miracles wrote the next hit for Marvin Gaye. Ain't That Peculiar was Marvin's second million-selling song, topping the hot R&B singles chart in the fall of 1965. It also became one of Marvin Gaye's signature songs. Marvin Gaye had a special gift in taking the song to another level and making it his own. Smokey defined it as Marvinizing. When I used to write for Marvin Gaye, okay, I would write a song. I would either collaborate with my guitarist or someone else sometimes to write a song for Marvin Gaye or whatever. I loved working with Marvin Gaye because Marvin was always late. When he came in the studio, he came in there running. The door was hitting him on the ankle, you know what I mean? However, he was my brother. He was a really good friend. We were very, very tight. And if I, I got to the point where if my session was going to start at 8, I would tell Marvin it's going to start at 6.30. So he would be there by 8.30. You know what I mean? However, I didn't mind that because when he came into the studio, he never heard the song before he got there. I would sit at the piano and show him the song or else play the track and show him the song. And he would proceed to what I call Marvinize my song. He would sing it in a manner in which I'd never imagined singing it. You know, when I wrote it, I'm just singing. I'm just writing a song or something, you know. And I'm not imagining all the things that he's going to do vocally to my song. So he would come in there and marvelize your song, which now you got a song and you got an interpreter who adds another kind of life to what you've written.
Okay, now let's see how much you really know about Marvin Gaye. Here are five things that you, as well as I, probably didn't even know about Marvin. Number one, Marvin Gaye's first number one hit was I Heard It Through the Grapevine, released in October of 1968. Motown founder Barry Gordy twice refused to release it. Can you believe that? Number two, Marvin Gaye started out as a drummer for Anna Gordy's company, Anna Records. Number three, from the age ain't nothing but a number department, when Marvin and Anna Gordy were married, he was 24 and she was 41. When Marvin married his second wife, Janice, he was 38 and she was 21. Number four, it was Gwen Gordy who introduced Marvin to her brother, Barry Gordy, at a Christmas party in 1960. And number five, and sadly, Marvin Gaye passed away on April 1st, 1984, just one day from his 45th birthday. My name is Dee Wayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com. Barry Gordy decided to boost Marvin's appeal by pairing him up with, quote, the girls, end quote. Marvin recorded with Diana Ross, Mary Wells, Kim Weston, and of course, realized great success with Tammy Terrell. Reaching number four on the Soul Singles Chart in January of 1967, It Takes Two by Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston also was Marvin's first major hit in the United Kingdom, where it peaked at number 16. Shine through It takes two, baby 
In early 1967, Motown hired Tammy Montgomery to sing duets with Marvin Gaye. Prior to this, she was singing background vocals in James Brown's band. During the performance at the 20 Grand Club in Detroit, she was spotted by Barry Gordy, who promised to sign her to Motown. Figuring the name Tammy Montgomery was too long, Barry changed her name to Tammy Terrell. He felt the name screamed sex appeal. At the time, Marvin was married and Tammy was in a relationship with David Ruffin. That didn't affect their musical chemistry, which was obvious from the very start. Released in August of 1967 and written by Ashford and Simpson, Your Precious Love went all the way to number two on the R&B singles chart. was no stranger to temptation and female attention. A tall, good-looking, and always well-dressed gentleman, Marvin enjoyed flirting and from time to time, Anna Gay had to remind him that he was a married man. Marvin and Tammy had a special love for each other, and although they respected their boundaries and obligations, you can just hear and sense the power of their bond in the music. On October 14, 1967, during a concert performance in Virginia, Tammy's career was interrupted when she collapsed into Marvin's arms on stage. Tammy was later diagnosed with a brain tumor. She had eight unsuccessful operations before succumbing to the illness on March 16, 1970 at the age of 24. Marvin once stated that this next song was one of Tammy's favorites. If This World Were Mine was written by Marvin Gaye and released in November of 1967. If this world were mine, With your love inside me 
king With wealth untold You could have anything If this world were mine I'd give you each day So sunny and blue If you wanted the moonlight I'd give you that too If this world were mine I'd give you fell into a deep depression and withdrew from recording and performing following the death of Tammy Terrell. He would later re-emerge two years later performing at a benefit concert in May of 1972. That didn't stop the hit machine at Motown Records. Released in October of 1978, I Heard It Through the Grapevine was originally recorded by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Then of course, it was a huge hit for Gladys Knight and the Pips. Marvin Gaye's version went all the way to number one on the R&B chart and stayed there for seven weeks, becoming Motown's biggest hit single. My name is Dee Dwayne, and you're listening to The Real Deal right here on TheHot12.com.
Herman's depressed state of mind led to a disenchantment for the music industry and he seriously considered quitting the business entirely. He never fully got over Tammy's passing. Marvin Gaye began using drugs to numb the effects of his depression and soon realized that this was a life-changing experience for him. He began to look inward for peace and contentment. Now you know, there's a masterpiece in every true artist and Marvin Gaye was about to compose a masterpiece. Inspired by the death of Tammy Terrell, the civil rights unrest in America, as well as his brother's experiences in the Vietnam War, Marvin finally returned to Motown in June of 1970 and began working on What's Going On. Upon hearing the song, Barry Gordy refused to release it due to his feelings that the song was too political for radio. Marvin Gaye was very purposeful, very meaningful, very spiritual, um, very ridiculous at times. Because Marvin liked to just do things for the sake of being different, you know. And uh, we we loved Marvin, you know, because he was like one of those rare, rare artists. He did something kind of fellow that was him totally. So after that, he started being more like himself, more like himself, until he got to the point that he was too much like himself for me, for my taste. And he did what's going on, and I thought it was going to ruin his career. And he was right. He was right, and it, it didn't, and it was our biggest record. So he learned something. No, I learned something. <laughs> I learned that a true artist, when they're passionate about something, it's great to let them do it.
Charming Game received two Grammy Award nominations and several NAACP Image Awards for What's Going On. The album also topped Rolling Stone Magazine's year-end list as its album of the year. The song eventually sold more than 2 million copies, becoming the fastest-selling Motown single to date at that time. The song's success forced Barry Gorey to sign a then-unheard-of $1 million contract and to allow Marvin complete freedom to produce his own music his way. Time for Masterpiece number 2. In 1973, Marvin Gaye released the Let's Get It On album. Its title track became Marvin's second number one single on the Hot 100. The album subsequently stayed on the charts for two years and sold over 3 million copies. The album was later held as a record unparalleled in its sheer sensuality and carnal energy. In December of 1978, Marvin issued the album Here My Dear, inspired by the fallout of his marriage to Anna Gordy. Recorded as an intent for Marvin to remit a portion of its royalties for her to receive alimony payments, it flopped on the charts. 
Also during this period, Marvin developed a serious dependence and addiction to cocaine and was dealing with several financial issues with the IRS. Motown remixed and issued an unfinished album by Marvin entitled In Our Lifetime on January 15, 1981. When Marvin learned of its release, he accused Motown of editing and remixing the album without his consent. He also accused the label of Rush releasing the album, comparing his unfinished album to an unfinished Picasso painting. Marvin then vowed that he would never again record any more music for Motown Records. In 1981, Marvin Gaye relocated to Ostend, Belgium. While there, he stayed away from heavy drug use and began exercising and attending a local church, regaining his inner confidence. Marvin's personal attorney, Curtis Shaw, would later describe Marvin's Ostend period as the best thing that ever happened to Marvin. When word got around that he was playing a musical comeback and an exit from Motown, CBS Urban President Larkin Arnold eventually was able to convince Marvin to sign with CBS. On March 23, 1982, Motown and CBS Records successfully negotiated Marvin Gaye's release from Motown. Now, Marvin Gaye was not a big fan of disco music. In fact, he tried to avoid any request or pressure from the record company to record a disco song. However, influenced by Johnny Taylor's hit Disco Lady, Marvin was inspired to create an answer song and wrote Got To Give It Up. On the R&B chart, Got To Give It Up held the number one spot for five weeks from April 30th until June 17th, 1977.
Although Marvin Gaye was going through his second divorce, financial problems, and self-drug rehabilitation, he was on the brink of a major comeback in his career. In fact, one of the most successful periods of his career. Larkin Arnold from CBS Records took a major gamble on Marvin. Larkin Arnold helped Marvin settle his financial and personal issues, as well as paved the way for Marvin Gaye's return to the top of the charts. When Larkin first heard the rough tracks of sexual healing over the phone, while Marvin was still in self-exile in Belgium, he knew that Marvin had a hit on his hands. Well, Larkin Arnold was right, and his gamble paid off big time. Sexual Healing won several music industry awards. At the 1983 Grammy Awards, the song won two Grammys, including Best Male R&B Vocal Performance and Best R&B Instrumental Performance. The song sold over 2 million units and was certified platinum. Digital Selves of Sexual Healing reached 500,000 units and was certified as a gold single in 2005. In our research for this story, it was not difficult to conclude that Marvin Gaye lived a life of supreme highs and some of the most profound lows that a person could ever imagine. 
he experienced being one of the highest paid recording artists in history to owing the IRS over $4 million. But through it all, his gift as a composer, producer, and artist never failed him. Marvin Gaye sold over 58 million albums and received two Grammy Awards in his career. He was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987 and in 1990 he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1996, Marvin Gaye posthumously received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Three of his albums, What's Going On, Let's Get It On, and Here My Dear were ranked by Rolling Stone on their list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. What's Going On remains the largest ranked album and was chosen in 2003 for the inclusion of the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. In 2006, a park that Marvin frequented as a teenager called Watts Branch Park in Washington, D.C. was renamed Marvin Gaye Park. Three years later, the 5200 block of Foot Street Northeast in Deanwood, Washington, D.C. was renamed Marvin Gaye Way. And in August of 2014, Marvin Gaye was inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame. Marvin Gaye's recordings for Motown in the 1960s and 1970s shaped that label's signature sound. Critics have stated that Marvin's music signified the development of black music from raw rhythm and blues through sophisticated soul to the political awareness of the 1970s and increased concentration on personal and sexual politics thereafter. As a Motown artist, Marvin was among the first to break from the reins of Motown's production system, paving the way for Stevie Wonder. Artists from many genres have covered Marvin's music, including James Taylor, Brian McKnight, Kate Bush, Chico DeBarge, Michael McDonald, Aretha Franklin, Diana Ross, and Aaliyah, among many others. More recently, performers such as Kanye West and Mary J. Blige have sampled Marvin's work for their recordings. You can find his music in movies, grocery store background music, and even in today's ringtones. To put it simply, Marvin Gaye was the real deal. His musical legacy is strong and powerful, and his gift still inspires many to this day. My name is Dee Dwayne, and thank you for listening to The Real Deal. The Real Deal is produced by Melody Productions, and we welcome your comments and ideas for future shows. We'd love to hear from you, so click that Contact Us button on this website and drop us a line. Always keep it real, and thanks again for listening to The Real Deal.